listening to the sermon podcast of Brockport First Baptist. We are a progressive American Baptist congregation located about 20 minutes outside of Rochester, New York. To learn more about our church and support our ministries, please visit BrockportFirstBaptist.org. Our scripture for today is Ruth chapter 4. It is page 212 in your pew Bibles. No sooner had Boaz gone up to the gate and sat down there than the next of kin, who, of whom Boaz had spoken, came passing by. So Boaz said, come over and sit down here. And he went over and sat down. Then Boaz took ten men of the elders of the town and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. He then said to the next of kin, Naomi, who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling a parcel of land that belonged to our kinsman, Amalek. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, Buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not tell me so, that I may know, for there is no one prior to you to redeem it, and I come after you. So he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, The day you acquire the field from the hand of Naomi, you are also acquiring Ruth and Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead man, to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance. At this, the next of kin said, I cannot redeem it for myself without damaging my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. Now this was the custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one who took off a sandal and gave it to the other, this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the next of kin said to Boaz, acquire it for yourself, he took off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all of the people, Your witnesses today that I have acquired from the hand of Naomi, all that belonged to Amalek, and all that belonged to Chilean and Mahalan. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, the wife of Mahalan, to be my wife, to maintain the dead man's name on his inheritance, in order that the name of the dead may not be cut off from his kindred and from the gate of his native place. Today you are witnesses. Then all the people who were at the gate, along with the elders, said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you produce children in Ephrathan Ha, and bestow a name in Bethlehem. And through the children that the Lord will give you by this young woman, may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive and she bore a son. Then the, the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin, and may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be, he shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age, for your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, a son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David. Now these are the descendants of Perez. Perez became the father of Hezron, Hezron of Ram, Ram of Aminadab, 
Aminadab of Nashon, and Nashon of Salmon, and Salmon of Boaz, Boaz of Obed, Obed of Jesse, and Jesse of David. The word, the word of, of God, God for, for the, the people, people of God. Praise be to God. And thanks to the Gants for that reading. Well, we have so many of those tricky names in there, you need two people, so you guys did awesome. You did great. That was great. That was great. All right. So Merry Christmas Eve, everyone. Um, before we go into the teaching for today, I do want to give one more plug uh, for our Christmas Eve service, the official Christmas Eve service later today at 4 o'clock. Um, I know two church services in one day is a lot to ask, uh, but it is going to be awesome. We're singing all the Christmas carols. We're going to light candles. You get to play with fire in church, uh, which is always fun. And, and we're eating halfway through the service, uh, which is it's going, to be, it's going to be a good time. Bring your friends, bring your neighbors um, to that at 4 with that plug out of the way, let's talk about a child, a redeemer, and a man with one sandal. This is our last teaching on the book of Ruth. Uh, I did get into a little bit of trouble last week with all the dirty stuff uh, in last week's sermon. Um, my wife told me that I went a little too far, uh, which she's not in here right now. She's in the nursery, so I can talk about her. Um, <laughs> But, um, but Aaron said it wasn't, so much, it wasn't so much what I said last week as the joy and the glee with which I said it that she thought <laughs> crossed the line. So if, if any of you were, were offended by that, I apologize. Uh, this one's going to be rated G, I promise. Um, and I did actually hear from a few of you last week who have taken up my challenge of trying to read the book of Ruth straight through, uh, which is really awesome. It's only four pages long, probably one of the only books in the Bible that you can really sit down and knock out. So if you haven't done that yet, give it a try. Uh, something to do over the holiday, uh, the holiday week. To recap the story so far, though, the book of Ruth begins with a woman named Naomi, who we've got up here on, on the slide. Um, Naomi is from Bethlehem, but she moved to the country of Moab with her family during a famine. While Naomi was in Moab, though, tragedy struck. Her husbands and her two sons died, leaving her with her daughter-in-law, Ruth. The two women are destitute, uh, as widows typically were back then. Naomi tells Ruth to go back to her father's house, but Ruth refuses. She clings to Naomi and to Naomi's God. And so the two women journey back to Bethlehem. Without money, without employment, desperate for food, Ruth goes out to glean in the field of a man named Boaz. And Boaz just so happens to be a relative of Naomi's late husband. Boaz is also incredibly generous to Ruth. Um, he looks out for her. He blesses her. He makes sure she leaves with a ton of food. And then one night, at Naomi's suggestion, Ruth goes out and snuggles up next to Boaz and uncovers his feet. If you want the R-rated version of that, listen to last week's sermon. For now, we're going to say she uncovers her feet. This is the story so far. Are we tracking with the book of Ruth? Very good. Because there's a phrase we got to talk about today in order to understand what happens next. It's a phrase that occurs 20 times in Ruth chapters 3 and 4. The best translation is probably kinsman redeemer, something like that. It's not really language we use much, though. Um, and our Bibles render it either kinsman or next of kin. I'm going to actually read. We're going to go back to Ruth chapter 3, um, starting in verse 9, and I'm going to cover some of this. Look for these words about kinsman next of kin. Also, I highlighted them, so it's going to be easy to, to find them. <clears throat> Ruth chapter 3, verse 9. 
Boaz said, Who are you? Ruth answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your cloak over your servant, for you are next of kin. He said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. I will do for you all that you ask. For all the assembly of my people know what a worthy, uh, you are a worthy woman. But now, though it is true that I am a near kinsman, there is another kinsman more closely related than I. Remain this night and in the morning. If he will act as next of kin for you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to act as next of kin for you, then as the Lord lives, I will act as next of kin for you. That's a lot of next of kin for you. (laughs) That's that's a lot of repetition. And we see the same thing in chapter 4. No sooner had Boaz gone up to the gate and sat down there than the next of kin whom Boaz had spoken came passing by. Last week after worship in the sermon talk, talk back, this uh, next of kin phrase came up. Um, all this talk about marrying your kin, which is icky, right? It's, it sounds a little gross to us. Um, what they're talking about, though, is the kinsman redeemer law. In the Old Testament, there are laws designed to protect widows. Back then, keep in mind, women had no rights. It was a patriarchal society. Uh, The only way a woman could be protected was by being connected to a man, uh, either her father, her husband, or an adult son. That's how their society worked, unfortunately. And as we've seen in the story of Ruth, a woman who is widowed with no sons has nothing. There is no support structure, no one looking out for her, And that's where the kinsman-redeemer law is supposed to come in. The law of ancient Israel says that if a woman is widowed, the responsibility of taking care for her falls to her late husband's closest male relative. That is the next of kin. So to clarify, it's not her blood relative. Some people got a little freaked out about that last week in the talkback. It's her late husband's relative. That's the next of kin, the kinsman-redeemer. That person is supposed to marry the woman make sure she's provided for, and produce an heir with her who can inherit the family land. It's a little strange for us, right? Because it it has to do with marrying your brother-in-law, which, ew. Um, But I want us to see that this custom, this law, the kinsman-redeemer law, was actually a giant leap forward for the time. It was incredibly progressive. It would have been better if they just let women own property, right? Like that, you know, let them, let them, let them vote, um, let them have jobs. But this was 3,000 years ago, and we've only figured out some of that stuff really in the last 100, 150 years ourselves. So some grace here for, for these ancient people. But this is the step forward. It was incredibly progressive for its time because it was a way to make sure that women were protected. We follow in with that? Awesome. I want to actually read one of these laws to you from the Torah, because one, it's a, it's a little funny, um, but two, it leads really nicely into our story. This is one of the kinsman redeemer laws from Deuteronomy chapter 25, verse 5. And how often do we get to read from Deuteronomy in church? Let's do it. <clears throat> Deuteronomy chapter 25. When brothers reside together and one of them dies and has no son, the wife of the deceased shall not be married outside the family to a stranger. Her husband's brother shall go into her, taking her in marriage and performing the duty of a husband's brother to her. And the firstborn whom she bears shall succeed to the name of the deceased brother, so that his name may not be blotted out in Israel. That's the kinsman redeemer. A man dies, his brother marries the widow, produces an heir. Okay? It keeps going, though, and this is the part that gets kind of funny. Verse 7. 
But if the man has no desire to marry his brother's widow, then his brother's widow shall go up to the elders at the gate and say, my husband's brother refuses to perpetuate his brother's name in Israel. He will not perform the duty of a husband's brother to me. Then the elders of his town shall summon him and speak to him. If he persists saying, I have no desire to marry her, then his brother's wife shall go up to him in the presence of the elders, pull his sandal off his foot, spit in his face, and declare, this is what is done to the man who does not build up his brother's house. Throughout Israel, his family shall be known as the house of him whose sandal was pulled off. <laughs> Isn't that amazing, you guys? Like, if, that, if this does not put you in the Christmas spirit, I don't, know, <laughs> I don't know what I can do for you. Fun fact, by the way, um, scholars have no idea what's going on here. Uh, it's, I mean, we, we understand the spitting in the face part. That, that translates pretty well. But, but the whole sandal situation where she takes the dude's sandal, no clue what that symbolized or why they did that. That's been lost to history, but we see this exact thing playing out at the end of Ruth. Boaz goes first thing in the morning to the city gate. The um, kinsman redeemer, the guy who's, who's the closer relation to Ruth's late husband, comes walking by. Boaz is like, hey, good sir, Will you fulfill the role of kinsman redeemer for your late relative and make sure his property, his land stays in the family? And this guy's like, sure, I could use some extra land, right? But then Boaz hits him with the fine print. By the way, uh, you'll also need to marry the widow of Elimelech's son, Ruth the Moabite. That's all he has to say. And this dude wants none of it. I can't marry a Moabite. That would endanger my inheritance. Which is a reminder of just how hated Ruth's people were at that time. This guy takes a pass on extra land in a society where land is wealth because he doesn't want to marry a Moabite. So Boaz takes the guy's sandal. There's no spitting in the face, which is a bit of a letdown. Um, but he, Boaz, becomes kinsman redeemer. He marries Ruth. They live happily ever after, just like a Hallmark Christmas movie. Um, I want to read, read the end of this um, just one more time for us. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife. When they came together, the Lord made her conceive, and she bore a son. That goes to the Christmas story. Then the women said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without next of kin. May his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. Then Naomi took the child and laid him in her bosom and became his nurse. The women of the neighborhood gave him a name, saying, A son has been born to Naomi. They named him Obed. He became the father of Jesse, the father of David, as in King David. King David's grandpa, a son of promise who is born to bring hope and restoration to an entire community. You feel the, the Christmas parallels, right? Like there's, there's hyperlinks here. There's foreshadowing to the Christmas story to another son who's going to be born. We're going to get into that in a minute. But first I want to make sure we see all the levels of redemption that are happening here for Naomi and Ruth. At the beginning of the story, Naomi lost everything. She left her home. 
She lost her husband. She lost her sons. She comes this close to losing her faith. Naomi is a female Job. That's what we said from week one. And just like Job, by the end of the story, Naomi is restored with a new family, renewed faith, and a newborn little grandson bouncing on her knee. But Ruth is also restored. A lot of people have pointed out that Ruth kind of fades from view at the end of the story. It's a little weird. Uh, She's not mentioned by name in these closing lines, which is just strange. Here's what the women of the city say to Naomi about Ruth in verse 14 and 15. Blessed be the Lord who has not left you this day without next of kin. May his name be renowned in Israel. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has borne him. They don't mention Ruth by name, which is strange. Until you remember what Ruth has been called over and over and over again in this story. It's never just Ruth. It's always Ruth the Moabite. Ruth from Moab. Oh, you know Ruth the Moabite from Moab? It's, that's, that's how she's referred to throughout this story. It's, it's, like, it's like when your racist uncle starts telling a story, right? And he's, he's like, I was at the grocery store the other day and I met a Mexican guy. And you're like, you don't have to mention the ethnicity, that's a little strange. But like, that, that is the vibe of Ruth in this story. She carries that with her. People look at her and they categorize her. She's Ruth the Moabite. This is one of the first times in this entire story, one of the only times, that Ruth is referred to not for her ethnicity, not for where she's from, but for who she is. They don't say your daughter-in-law the Moabite, your daughter-in-law from Moab. They call Ruth your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is worth more than seven sons. Ruth has been redeemed. The Christmas story is about redemption. It's a story of the Savior of the world being born in humble circumstances, a God who identifies with us in our lowliness in order to elevate us. Normally when the gospel is preached, when when like Christians present the story of salvation, it's usually a sales pitch, right? And that sales pitch is usually presented in very legal framing, very legal terms, a lot of talk about law and punishment and, and all of that stuff. Tell me if you've heard this one. Tell me if you've heard the gospel presented like this before. <clears throat> You're a sinner. You broke God's law. We all broke God's law. And because we broke God's law, we deserve punishment. It's usually we deserve death, Right? But good news, God's not going to punish us for our crimes. God decided to punish his son instead. Jesus took the fall for us. He took the penalty we deserve on the cross. God took all his anger out on Jesus so that we could be forgiven. How many of us have heard the gospel presented that way before? Yeah. If not, you need to spend more time in evangelical churches, guys. Um, (laughs) I got to confess... I have never personally found that version of the gospel compelling. It might be because I don't really like law shows, right? Like, like law and order is just lost on me. But that version of the gospel doesn't sound like good news to me. I don't want someone else taking my punishment. 
I don't want God beating his kid instead of me. That makes God sound like a monster. It's also not a very biblical understanding of the gospel. When the, when the authors of the Bible talk about salvation, they don't normally put it in legal terms like that. Far more often, they use the metaphor of a marriage where we are the bride of Christ and Jesus is our kinsman redeemer. We live in an incredibly broken world. A world that chews us up and spits us out. I don't know about you guys, but I've had a hard couple of weeks. Um, it always tends to hit right, ar right around the holidays. Um, in this life, we endure hardship, tragedies, uh, broken relationships, mistakes, suffering. And a lot of it is for no good reason at all. Sometimes we feel like Ruth. Uh, lost and alone in a hostile world, like we are foreigners with nowhere to belong. Other times we relate to Naomi, bitter, confused, grieving, angry at God. But God did not see fit to leave us alone in this broken world. God entered in. God sent a redeemer, a kinsman, someone like us, in Jesus, God takes on flesh in order to save the world, uniting with us in order to save us. In Jesus, God proposes to us. God offers us hope, a new name, with no fear that our reputation is going to rub off on him. God adopts us into the family, provides for us, restores us, and allows us to be seen maybe for the first time for who we really are. That's the gospel, you guys. That little baby in a manger who we are celebrating today is our kinsman, redeemer, the one who reveals God's love for us. If you've never made that commitment to follow Jesus, to receive his free gift of love, I want to extend that invitation to you today. It's not a guilt trip about what a terrible sinner you are. It's not a sales pitch designed to scare you into heaven. The gospel is a marriage proposal. It's God reaching out a hand, inviting us into relationship. Say I do to God. Let's pray. God, we thank you and we praise you for being our kinsman redeemer. Thank you for sending your son into the world to rescue us, to identify with us, to reveal your love for us. And God, we thank you for giving us the story of Ruth, a love story that reminds us of your love. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
like to invite all who are able to please stand and join in our closing hymn, Gentle Mary, number 156. join us back this night, uh, today, this night? Where am I from? Uh, please join us back today at 4 p.m. Uh, for our Christmas Eve love feast. It's going to be a wonderful time, and please receive this blessing before you go. May the peace of the Lord Jesus Christ go with you, wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. May he bring you home rejoicing once again into our doors. Amen and Merry Christmas.